topic, I'm pleased to introduce to you Aura Nadrich. Aura is the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. Aura is a certified life coach and a certified mindfulness meditation teacher. Aura, welcome to Mind Talk. Hi, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Aura, you know, as I was reading Says Who, it seemed like the beginning of your life was really the stuff that fairy tales were made of. You had a mom, you had a dad, um, dad was hardworking, mom was hardworking, you had sisters and everyone was happy, you played, you had a grand time, and then things changed when your sister became ill, and it had quite the impact on you. Talk about that for a bit, if you would. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I grew up in what seemed like the perfect household. As a matter of fact, I would run into people from my childhood, and they would say, oh, I always wanted to live in your house. You know, you had four siblings, and your house was always so happy, and all of that, which is true. I'm the youngest of four, and when I was um, almost 15 years old, my, one of my oldest sisters, I have two older sisters and an older brother who has passed away, um, but one of my older sisters, who I just adored and idolized, had a nervous breakdown, and it was just shocking. It was devastating for all of us. It was just tragic, and I call that my original says who moment when something took hold in my psyche that was really altering for the rest of my life, I felt. So that really was, yes, I did grow up in a in a very happy household and you know sometimes things happen that we don't see coming which is the case for for our family and it was it was quite devastating when you say your sister had a nervous breakdown those words really mean very different things for different people can you give us a thumbnail sketch of what was different for your sister what changed you know, it's so interesting hearing you say that because, yes, nervous breakdown, it sounds almost like, what does that really mean? That's a term that uh, in those days, that was what they called it, a mental break. You know, yes, she had a breakdown, and her diagnosis from that breakdown was that she became mentally ill, and her um, diagnosis was that she was, uh, she was diagnosed as having schizophrenia, and it was really what you know, the breakdown, when they reach that point where something is clearly wrong, that then you get the you needed, which is what happened to her, uh, was what happened. It was an, a series of events that took place, and then one which just was, again, the mental breakdown that took place for her. And her, again, her diagnosis was schizophrenia. And how did your life change? At that point, I can't imagine that at 15 you, you even understood what was going on. Can't imagine that you really understood what schizophrenia meant, but, but you knew that your life was different. Was it at that point that you started thinking differently about yourself, or did that come a little bit later? You know, there's nothing to prepare you for something like that. I think in any family where something goes really very wrong and is very troubling. You know, again, I am the youngest of four, so I was developing. Uh, my young psyche was really, you know, I was a teenager myself, and a lot of things were taking shape and developing in me. So to have a sister who had this breakdown, which was 
so foreign to all of us, you know, knowing nothing about mental illness, knowing nothing about, yes, you know, something like schizophrenia, which sounds so um, frightening, really, to me. The whole thing was, I describe it as a trauma. I mean, all the attention and focus was placed on her, rightfully so. She was in deep crisis. But as a result of what had happened to her, I was traumatized by it because I was in tremendous fear over what happened to her. Do you know, I was heartbroken and I was also terribly frightened by what had occurred with her. And that fear had produced a thought in my mind, which is what really was the beginnings again of the says who method, which was a thought that took place in my mind at that time out of fear because we go into deep fight or flight and that was that I'm going to go crazy like my sister. That's what I told myself out of tremendous fear. And, you know, that's such a common reaction. And so many times, uh, particularly in situations such as yours where there's you know, n- no real uh, expectation that anything like that exists in the family or can happen, it makes perfect sense that everybody would marshal all their efforts and their focus around the person who's identified as ill and everybody else in the family is just sort of left to kind of figure it out not out of a sense of anything other than being super concerned about the person who's identified as being ill. And, and of course, the, the fear that this is going to happen to you next is so very, very common. True, and I think that whatever takes place in a family structure that, you know, that it can be so frightening and so overwhelming and so daunting that you do feel that it's going to spill over to you, you know, uh, whatever that could possibly be in that household. With her situation, you know, without any neglect on my parents' part, you know, we all as a family unit, we went into therapy together. We had to learn how to then, you know, become a family with this big change in our home. You know, so so many things were put into place, and everybody was doing their absolute best. You know, in hindsight, again, because I was the youngest, and I was internalizing so many things, that's why, you know, so much was not resolved for me at the time, because I had my own stirrings going on. And again, yes, she was in deep crisis, and of course, all the attention needed to be placed on how do we then support and help her in the best way possible. The value of questioning your own thoughts, which is, I would suggest, really at sort of the hallmark of the says who method that we'll be talking about today. You know, for so many people, the idea of questioning their own thoughts is something that they just don't think about. You know, you you think how you think, and that's how you think. Right. It's so true, and thank you for saying that. I think that's a really important thing to stress because I work with so many people, and I've had so many breakthroughs with my clients where they held a thought for so long that was so fear-induced. And when the questioning process, the says to method, was used on them, they, oftentimes they'll say to me, you know, Aura, I never even thought to question that thought. I never even thought to question my own thoughts. We're so quick to question other people's thoughts and what they say, but we accept what we tell ourselves so readily without even thinking to question 
whether it's supporting our well-being or not. And the idea that we can actually question how we think, you know, I probably send some people into a bit of a tailspin, in, in part because it is so foreign to how uh, perhaps many of us tend to go through our days. It's true. You know, self-examining, you know, it's very Socratic and very Jungian, living the examined life. You know, I've embraced those philosophies and those psychologies for a very long time in that know thyself, you know, isn't that what what Socrates said, and uh, live the examined life, find out who you are. Now, I've had the great benefits of Jungian analysis because I went into that as a result of what happened to my sister. I knew that I needed help. I was starting to have symptoms related to the anxiety that was produced by the trauma that I experienced with her illness. And, you know, people walk around a lot of the time so really disturbed or really in discomfort or in despair or anxiety, and that's really the inspiration of the book. I wanted to help people who are suffering but they're feeling, because feelings are always attached to a thought. And if you don't get to the bottom of what is really inciting those emotions and making you feel so horrible, you're always going to be at the effect of something you don't even know what it is. So finding out who we are is very illuminating. I know it's frightening to many, many, many people that want to avoid it at all costs. And that's really the encouragement that I that says who method is about to help you understand your thoughts better so you don't suffer so much. One thing I'd, I'd like to underscore, which, which you've certainly brought up, is the idea that secondary trauma really is something that people experience routinely. I mean, it's it's a natural outgrowth of being human and being around people who experience pain, particularly if it's someone or if it's something that has a particular impact on you. So if you are... Uh, if you have a sister or a loved one or a neighbor or something you see on television or listen to and it p- touches you in a particular way and you find yourself traumatized by it, the last thing you want to do, the last thought you want to have is there's something wrong with me because I feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about those negative thoughts, you certainly mm-hmm. don't want to do that to yourself. And, and let's talk uh, a little bit about negative thoughts because you make it very clear uh, that something happens inside of us when we have those negative thoughts. Yes, you know, we think thousands and thousands of thoughts a day. You know, statistics show that we think between 40 and 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a staggering amount of mental activity. And, you know, a lot of those thoughts that we have inside our heads are can be disturbing and they can be unpleasant and they can be very uh, dark. And you don't want to live like a prisoner inside your own mind. You know, you want to be able to 
examine, to go in there, to understand those thoughts better. So the Sesu method is a very straightforward questioning method to ask yourself when a negative or a fear-based thought comes up and basically just takes hold in your mind and you feel so imprisoned by it. Do you know, we have to have some kind of system in place. We have to have some kind of a, a discipline, a skill, if you will, so that when a thought comes up, it renders us just completely frightened or feeling so helpless and hopeless that we have to understand that we are the one that is producing and creating these thoughts in our heads. A lot of times people feel very disconnected from their thoughts. They feel as though something is taking them over. So by asking these very simple, straightforward, cognitive questions about you know, which you connect the dots, I have this thought, what is this thought trying to tell me, what does this thought mean? And you can begin to dismantle it. It's, it's a type of structure, and I don't mean to have it sound complicated. It really isn't. That's why the Sesu method is so simple and so straightforward, to take those steps one step at a time to be able to question a thought that's causing you so much unhappiness. You can understand it better, and you can realize that you are in control, meaning you can change it. You can transform that into a positive, constructive thought that does serve your well-being, as opposed to tearing you down and making you feel so horrible. Now, you know that there, uh, there's somebody listening who's saying, wait a minute, those negative thoughts serve a purpose. Those negative thoughts, maybe they're true. Maybe you shouldn't get rid of those negative thoughts. Maybe they are motivating. Maybe, 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 maybe. So what do you say to those folks who believe that the negative thoughts are helpful and that it is unreasonable to try to get rid of them? Well, okay, see, but that becomes, our thoughts become our beliefs. So if you have a belief that, well, my negative thoughts help me, and that's why those questions are so straightforward, being able to recognize that, you know, how are those negative thoughts helping you? You know, do you need negative thoughts to, in fact, motivate you? Why can't you switch it out to positive thoughts that make you actually feel better about yourself, that make you feel more empowered, that make you feel more proactive? Why can't those types of thoughts be your motivators? Why does it have to be something that makes you feel bad about yourself? Because if somebody can show me what those negative thoughts do for them favorably, like, for example, if you're saying, well, let's just say someone said, well, you know what, my negative thoughts, they motivate me to get out of bed. That may be very well true for that person, but that may be also part of your attachment, that your thinking has become habitual and that you've relied on a negative thought pattern to motivate you, which is, is, I'd be very curious to see how it, in fact, would motivate somebody. Do you know, we know what positive thoughts make us feel like. They make us feel pretty good about ourselves. And negative thoughts tend to make us feel not so good about ourselves. So if I were to choose between those two, I'd say a positive thought that says, yeah, I can do this, or I'm really good at this, and I'm going to show that I am, that really has an energy behind it rather than, you know, I'm really a horrible human being, but I'm still going to get out of bed because I have to. 
So, I think you can see the difference between those two. It sounds like you're saying you don't have to be miserable to be proactive in your life. <laughs> what a concept. Exactly. <laughs> or you know, and we get attached to those negative thoughts, too. Are you cited a statistic uh, that we have forty to 70,000 thoughts a day? So we're not going to start pulling through forty to 70,000 thoughts a day. So how do you choose which thought to use the says who method on? Well, when I said that we, we think thousands of thoughts a day, and that's a statistic that shows us approximately just the, the incredible amount of thoughts and activity that's going on in our minds, what do we pay the most attention to? We pay the most attention to the thoughts that stick around. I, that's what I say and says who. You know, our negative thoughts stick around. They're the ones that aren't going anywhere because they keep returning or they get louder in our head because they really want our attention. They need our help. Do you know? So those are the thoughts that end up really um, staying in the foreground of our mind and those are the ones that need our help and those are the ones that I suggest to become more aware of when a negative thought takes hold in your mind before you react to it and become a slave to it to begin the says who questioning process and that will really help you catch that negative thought right in its tracks so that you can begin the process of changing it. Give us an example. Uh, you you talked about a client you had who actually was doing well in her business but had all kinds of negative thoughts that she would not do well. Can you walk us through the process that she went through? Yes, that particular client really was the, I would say that was the doorway into the Says Who Method. I hadn't written my book yet, and I was a, a life coach helping people, you know, and one woman came to me who, as you described, she was a very creative woman, and she came in to talk about a new business that she wanted to do, and in the midst of our session together, which, you know, based on what she was sharing with me, I thought it was going to be all about, you know, her creating this new business, and she said, you know, or I have this thought that's really frightening to me, and it comes up, um very randomly it comes up out of the blue and I don't see it coming and it just terrifies me and I said okay you know what is it are you comfortable sharing it and she said yeah and what her negative or fear-based thought or what I also call a boogeyman thought a thought that really just scares us so deeply and she said to me I have this fear that I'm going to be homeless that I'm going to be penniless well, in that moment, I've heard a lot of clients tell me all sorts of thoughts that they had, but this one in particular really stood out for me because here she comes to me very proactively wanting to start a business, and then she shares this thought, which seems so incongruous. So I felt like I was in the presence of someone with two minds, one that was very proactive and positive and one that was very fear-based and about to paralyze her from moving forward. And what came up for me in that moment was, says who? It just came out of the blue for me. So I had a real aha moment when she said that. And I took a chance with her and I said, says who? Who said you're going to be homeless? And when I asked her that question, her eyes widened like saucers. And she looked at me like a deer in headlights. 
And it basically just short-circuited that fear, if you will. And she went, wow, I never even asked myself that before. I mean, she was so blown away by that question. Interesting. By my merely just saying, says who? Who said you're going to be homeless? And, and that really started a whole thing in motion when I asked her that very first question. And what came out of that was that she said, she got, you know, teary-eyed, and she said, wow. Okay, and I took it one step farther, and I said to her, have you ever heard someone say that before? Have you ever heard someone say, you're going to be homeless? You know, I was trying to connect the dots for her, and by doing so, those questions were really suddenly giving her some kind of a breakthrough. And then she got very emotional, and she said, you know, I grew up with a father that used to say that a lot, and money at times was difficult for us when he didn't have a job, or he'd have a job and things would be better, but he would say that with so much fear and so much anger that it used to petrify me. And so I said, okay, and so you're telling me that that was your father's fear thought, that he feared because money was scarce, that you were all going to be homeless. And Penina, she said, yeah. And I said, well, did that ever happen? And she said, no. So you see the connection here, and I said to her finally, do you see how you have taken on a thought that didn't even belong to you? That was your father's fear-based thought, and here you are at this point in your life about to start a new business, and you have that thought as your own. This just was a major breakthrough for her. It's powerful. And also very powerful for me because I knew by what I was witnessing in front of me that I was onto something very important to connect those thoughts to our behaviors and to our beliefs that we can take on someone else's thought and it becomes our reality. Question three is, do I like this thought? One of my favorites, very straightforward. And all these questions you'll find, they're very simple, or so they seem. They're very direct, they're very straightforward, but they really can go in deep, you know, to find the logic in the thoughts that we have and sometimes how illogical they can be. So a question number three, do I like this thought? You know, what is it about your negative thought that you like? Because, again, basing this on negative thoughts primarily. You know, those are the thoughts you want to question. Do I like this thought? What is it about your negative thought that you like? You know, you're pretty hard put to answer that. You know, um, I like that it makes me feel bad. (laughs) I like that it makes me feel like I'm incompetent. You know, there's so many things that you could fill that blank with. So do I like this thought? Uh, There's really not a lot that's likable about negative thoughts, I feel, personally. And I use that thought, I use that question readily when the thought pops up in my mind that I need to question. Uh, The fourth one is, does this thought make me feel better? Again, very straightforward. How does your negative thought make you feel better? 
you know, does it make you feel good about yourself? Does it make you feel like you can get your job done? Does it make you feel that you are functioning as a likable human being? Um, Does it make you feel secure? You know, again, so many negative thoughts do not make us feel good about ourselves. The fifth question, does this thought work for me? How does it work for you favorably? How is your negative thought working for you? Is it helping you get your job done? Is it helping you in your relationships? Is it helping you feel confident? You know, is it working for you to get the job done? Is it working for you to get ahead? Is it working for you to be um, on the track of success? Do you know, how is that negative thought working for you? We know that positive thoughts make us feel better and that positive thoughts work for us favorably. Sixth question, am I in control of this thought? So many people, they feel out of control with their negative thoughts. Well, that's really what it ends up feeling like because you've given so much power and energy to a negative thought that, by the way, you're creating in your own mind and that you need to take that control back. You need to take that power back. So when you feel ultimately that you are not in control of that thought, that's an indication of how powerful a negative thought can be when we give into it so readily and accept it as true. The final question, number seven, do I want to keep this thought or let it go? When you've asked yourself the prior questions, identifying it by, you know, who have you heard say this thought before, that it didn't originate with you, maybe it did start with somebody else and you now know that it's not your original thought, you don't like this thought. It does not make you feel better. It does not work for you favorably. You do not feel in control of it. That when you ask yourself the seventh question, do I want to keep this thought or let it go, that you are ready to say, yes, I am, I am ready to let this thought go. I do not want to keep it. So a first step for someone is what? Is it to ask the question, says who? The first step, which I go into and says who, is that it's a very very big step to even begin this questioning process because what that really means is that you're you're willing to change those thoughts that are causing you unhappiness. Do you know, that's why it's such a great commitment to make to yourself to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to own this thought. And that's really what the very first question is. Says who? Who is saying this thought in my mind? Who is telling me that I'm unlovable, that I'm unworthy, that I'm this and I'm that? To be able to answer it and say, I am. I am telling myself that. You know, so often we want to deflect. We want to push down. We want to push away. We want to pretend that we're not having these thoughts that we're having. And let me tell you something. Everybody has those thoughts. You know, nobody needs to feel the shame and the embarrassment. Everybody's had mean, unkind thoughts along the way, be it about themselves or about someone else. So taking that first step says who? Who is saying this thought in my mind? I am. I am owning it. I am owning the very thing that I'm telling myself. So that is the very beginning. That is the first step. I do go into says who, how to teach you how to become the observer, and that again becomes a practice and a discipline that when a negative thought comes up, you'll catch it. Ah, here's that negative thought. Mm, let me look at it. What What's it about? What's it trying to tell me? Okay, let me really be with it. Let me let it come up so that I can look at it more closely. 
and you begin to start the process of dismantling it, of changing it, which will ultimately go into transformation. You know, that you are that powerful. <laughs> you will become that good that you will know what to do when the thought comes up. Or that what, is not serving your well-being. What, what's a website that folks can go to to get more information? com. O-R-A-N-A-D-R-I-C-H.com. Terrific. O-R-A-N-A-D-R-I-C-H.com. Terrific. Aura, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing Says Who with our audience. Thank you so much for having me. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. It's available to you on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's mindtalk.org. You can sign up at the iTunes. Uh, store or you can download the Mind Talk app from iTunes or Google Play. There are lots of places to get Mind Talk. And I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening to Mind Talk. So send me an email to Pamela, P A M E L A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. And I want you to remember always if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. Take care. Mm-hmm.